Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, uh, Penn State was able to uh, land a couple of recruits today, including one that we've been waiting on for a while. Yeah, it was... Um... There was some some scuttlebutt, I guess, around the internet over the last couple of days that there was a, a potential commit coming, but this kind of went back a little little old school as far as uh, there wasn't really a, an announcement that there would be an announcement for either uh, um, Sanders Sahedak, the kicker from uh, Bethlehem, PA, and then the uh, the big name that everyone's kind of talking about, Christian Veyu, um, from uh, from Ottawa, Ontario, but uh, going to school in Maryland, um, both kind of. Um, out of the blue, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, talk until uh, the, the tweets dropped around uh, probably about two o'clock or so this afternoon. Yeah, it had been a it, it had been mentioned, uh, like you said, rumored about that Penn State could be getting co- a commitment sometime soon. Uh, the big thing that kind of tipped everybody off was a tweet a little bit earlier in the day uh, from Penn State's top recruiter, Landon Tangwald, who uh, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Uh, but he, yeah, he just tweeted, let's go with a, all caps, with a bunch of exclamation points and emojis. Uh, and it, it it made it seem like something was going to be on the horizon. And then about an hour or so, half an hour later, uh, Mike Farrell of Rivals tweeted out, a picture of Veyu's profile and just said, just saying. And the next thing, you know, we got a couple of, uh, we got a couple of bat signals from James Franklin. Like Matt mentioned, the first one actually, uh, was for Sanders, a a kicker out of, uh, Southern Pennsylvania. He is from Bethlehem PA attends Liberty, uh, high school by Coles kicking the gold standard in kicker recruiting. He is the number one kicker prospect in the class of 2021. We will get to him in one second, but first things first, we want to talk about the second guy who committed. That's Christian Veyu, like Matt mentioned, formerly uh, from Canada, played some high school ball in Canada, spent a year at a high school in Western New York as a sophomore before this past year, transferring to the Bullis School in Potomac, Maryland, famous for being the school that Dwayne Haskins attended. Okay numbers. Uh, about 51% of his passes he completed for 2,006 yards, 29 touchdowns and interceptions, adding five rushing touchdowns on the ground. Uh, four-star recruit, number 295, kid nationally, stands about 6'3 and a half, weighs 201 pounds by 24-7. Matt, just... Let's get just general reactions to getting Christian Veyu in. This is a big commitment for Penn State, even if it is not, uh, you know, the potential program-changing guy that some people thought Penn State might be able to land in Caleb Williams. Yeah, I think um, you kind of have to look at quarterback recruiting in the 2021 class, at least for Penn State, kind of in in two separate groups. And the top group is is just Caleb Williams. You know, he's kind of a a transcendent talent at this point. Um, you know, the, the clear number one target for practically every school in the country, um, you know, LSU, Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, um, you know, kind of a who's who of, of elite college football programs and elite quarterback development programs. Um, it was always going to be difficult to land him. Obviously, um, you know, you do everything you can to get a player like that in, but that second group, um, which includes uh, Doug Nussmeyer, um, or Garrett Nussmeyer, Doug's son, um, and Jack Rubley, who uh, is out in Colorado. Uh, Rubley's actually commit to Kansas State. Nussmeyer 
is expected to go to LSU. And then Christian Veyu was kind of the third guy in that group for Penn State. And all indications have been that Veyu was um, kind of seen on, on equal footing with those other two guys. You know, they were they were happy. They, they kind of evaluate all three of those guys at about the same level. Um, what's really intriguing to me about Veyu as a, a prospect is, like you said, Bill, he's only been playing high school football in the United States for a couple of years now. I mean, just one at a, a you know better known football program like the Bullis School, um, like you mentioned, Dwayne Haskins is an alum of there among others. Um, so as a uh, you know pl- player in general, he is you know, a very raw prospect. You know, he doesn't have a ton of experience, and so you can see the the potential for just growth as a player. Um, the other thing that jumps out to me is he's a big kid. He's almost six four, like you said. He's only two hundred pounds right now. Um, one of the things that um, gets called out in, in a scouting report, he doesn't have a huge arm. He's a, certainly a very good arm, but I think you you project a kid that is you know has that big frame but isn't you know fully physically developed yet. You can project out that some of those physical traits like arm strength, like foot speed, um, are going to get better once he gets into uh, a, a real true strength and conditioning program like he'll have at Penn State with Dwight Galton and, and his staff. Um, but he has a lot of the the things you don't teach. He's incredibly accurate. Um, he's got a really, really good fundamentals. He's not one of those guys that has a kind of a wonky uh, throwing motion. There's a couple of things I'm sure that Kirk Shiraka will want to clean up once he's able to work with him um, on campus here um, in in a couple of years. But there's a lot of pieces there. Um, you know, one of the things that got mentioned, you know, he doesn't have the, the greatest 40-yard time. It's a 495 is the, the verified time. That's over a year old, um, and obviously with the, the COVID-19 situation going on now, those various evaluation camps have, have not happened. Um, this was a kid that I think a lot of people were expecting or, or excited to see go through that process again this spring um, to see how he, grow, how he grew from, from year one to year two, essentially, as a, a high school uh, American high school football player, um, see how those numbers improved after, after going through um, a full year um, in Maryland, um, obviously didn't have that chance, but um, he's another kid that the Penn State staff evaluated in person. He got his offer last summer, um, June of 2019, um, out of a camp. That was the second time he camped for for the coaching staff. Um, obviously, that was uh, Ricky Ronnie was the quarterback coach then. Um, but even when when Chirac had joined the staff earlier this year, Veyu was one of the first guys that he reached out to, um, which tells you, you know, kind of a fresh set of eyes, if you will, what what he thought of of him you know he, he made him a priority right away as well so um in a lot of ways you know he's not the 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 five-star can't miss kid like a caleb williams for example um but as far as what you're looking for in a quarterback he checks a lot of boxes yeah going back and looking at his 24 7 timeline he earned uh that offer from penn state in june after a camp uh, in September, James Franklin paid him a visit. In November, he came up to Happy Valley for an unofficial. Uh, and then in February, Penn State was able to have its junior day. Uh, everyone was able to, co- I mean, was able to come up, uh, was on campus then. Shiraka would have been Penn State's offensive coordinator by that point, would have gotten a chance to see and evaluate him. Uh, things did get a little hairy with it. it. It seemed like things could have gotten a little hairy with him. Uh, at the end of March, when Clemson offered, uh, he had visited unofficially, uh, and it was it had kind of been thrown about that if Pe- 
Penn State seemed to be in a really, really good spot for him, but the thing that could mess that all up would have been Clemson. And uh, Clemson came in, offered, and fortunately for Penn State, a month later, he decided, you know what, it's time to shut it down, Clemson. Appreciate that offer, but my future is going to be in Happy Valley. Uh, I'm actually looking at his uh, scouting report that uh, Brian Don, who does great scouting reports for 24-7, did, and I'm actually... Uh, chuckled a bit because it does include has to learn to play under center, which uh, that's not going to be a problem at Penn State. We uh, we all presume, but as I'm as I watch his tape, and Matt, I've watched a decent amount of his tape from uh, you, you know over the past couple of months, as it's looked like he was the guy Penn State was going to go all in for in Penn State, and that love was reciprocated uh, by Veyu. The thing that sticks out to me is that, like we, we, we've we both mentioned, he is relatively new to playing high-level high school football in the United States. Uh, play, freshman year was in Canada, like we mentioned, freshman year in Canada, sophomore year, uh, at a school in western New York, uh, which, you know, what, western New York isn't exactly a high school football powerhouse, last year at the Bullis School. He just looks the part, and that's the thing, like, that's something that it's always dangerous, but when you watch him play, uh, obviously he's going to continue to grow as a passer, as a runner, uh, as someone who has to process the game of football, but when you watch him take a snap and drop back and throw a pass and he's very good at just dropping passes into buckets for his guys to get them... He already looks the part, and now it seems like the big thing with him is just molding him into a college quarterback. Yeah, I think that's um, you know, like I was saying earlier that you know both as a a football player, you know the mental side of the game, learning to read defenses, you know anticipating things. Um, that's that's you know the coaching job that's in front of Kirk Sherrock and the coaching staff at this point. Um, but he's physically you you see the potential um you know we talk a lot about talk a lot about it with um offensive and defensive linemen that you know have those big you know six 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 seven frames but are you know only quote unquote 250 pounds and you talk about you know once they get into you know the right kind of dieting the right kind of weight training that sort of thing how easily they can they can carry additional strength and and, and weight without losing the athleticism value to me is a lot like that. Um, and like I was saying, I think, you know, that, that 40 yard time, that's, you know, right around five seconds right now, it's not hard to see that coming down. And even when you watch him on tape, you see um, he's one of those kids that almost appears to play faster than that time. Um, especially when you see his highlights from his junior year and where he was playing against higher level competition in Maryland, he's not going against, um, you know, more, or, or less talented athletes is probably the best way to put it. Um, he's going against guys that are going to be in a lot of cases playing division one football. Um, a lot of them for power five programs eventually. So he, you, you see that that ability is already there. And um, you know, it, it's, it's a, uh, a high ceiling kind of, kind of player when you, you think about, you know, what he is now versus what he'll be in three or four years from now, once he's had a chance to, to really get into that high-level coaching, that high-level strength training, all those things that go into to being an elite athlete um, in a football program. Yeah, and the thing that sticks out for me 
just in terms of the stuff that he does on the field, uh, he, he is kind of, uh, I think it's a bit of a phrase that we hear a lot with quarterbacks nowadays. He's not a runner, but he can move a little bit. That's certainly the case with him. Uh, he's not the uh, incredible improviser that you see out of some high-level college uh, college football and NFL quarterbacks, but when he has to escape the pocket, he's capable of escaping the pocket. He's comfortable throwing on the run. He throws a very catchable ball, and the thing that impresses me when I watch him throw is just how easily he's able to get these throws off. I, you mentioned this a second ago, Matt, uh, but it's not like he has some weird hitch in his throwing motion or anything like that. It just looks like he throws a pretty ball. And he does seem to have that kind of short to intermediate accuracy uh, that we've seen, that I mean, we saw last year. Uh, you, you know, I'm not going to mention Sean Clifford here, but I'll say in, with Tanner Morgan, what we saw in Minnesota's offense, he was at his best when he was attacking, you know, 20 yards and in. Of course, he had Tyler Johnson. He had Rashad Bateman. He had those guys that he could throw the ball up to them and they could just go make a play on it. But when he had to just throw the football, not really let it fly, but he just had to make smart throws with it, that's what we saw out of Morgan. And that's the kind of guy that I think uh, that you could turn into with the difference being that he's, well, I think he's a better athlete than a Morgan type. Uh, Matt, is there an area of his game, you know, when it comes to actually just playing football and not uh, bulking up, anything like that, where you were really, really impressed with this kid and you think if he's going to be a really good co college football player, it's because he already has X as a high schooler? I think it's his accuracy. Um and, and kind of going along with that is, is the fundamentals, like you said, and, and like I touched on a little bit earlier too, is he, does, he doesn't have one of those you know, weird throwing motions. The ball comes out real easily. He's got, um, you hear a lot about it with um, you know, like a pitcher in baseball. He's got a repeatable delivery. He's got a repeatable throwing motion um, that you know, gets tweaked, of course, as you, as you, you know, get coached up and this and that. But he's got, he's got a delivery that is, is kind of set and it works, and you know, the, the the ball is where it's supposed to be. And I think part of that's physical. You know, it's, it's the result of having that that real efficient, fundamentally sound uh, uh, throwing motion. But I think part of that too is uh, kind of a knowledge of the game and anticipating where guys are going to be. You know, knowing where defenders are and are not. You know, putting the ball in the right spot. There's there's a, it's a physical and mental combination there and he's got that already and i think that can be a hard thing to teach um you know the, the there, there's there's natural talent like arm strength and and athleticism and things like that but there's a little bit between the ears for me i think that you can kind of see um and I, I haven't gone back and looked from you know his sophomore year to his junior year but i'm guessing if i were to go back and, and look through his junior year tape a little bit or sophomore year and then compare it to the junior tape that i've watched a little bit more you're going to see a guy that's grown that in that way. You know, he understands, you know, his offense, he understands where his receivers are going to be. He understands, you know, when the safety does this, this is what's going to be open. And this is where I need to put the ball. And he does it. Um, that's all that all translates to whatever level of football you're playing. Yeah. And kind of the last thing that I want to point out that I've seen in his game that impresses me, 
Uh, he so there are basically two ends of the quarterbacking spectrum, which is you are either Joe Burrow, where uh, we'll, we'll do the Blazing Saddles uh, thing, like your one hand is steady as a rock, that's Joe Burrow, and then your your other hand, which is flailing around, and that's Sean Clifford. And I don't necessarily mean this as a knock against Clifford, it's just he plays a very uh, hectic, very chaotic style. He always seems to be really wound up. Um, always like he just has a ton of energy and it could, it it doesn't always look the prettiest. Meanwhile, you have the Burrow type who is just cool, calm, collected in every single moment. Veyu to me seems like he's more on the Burrow end of that spectrum than the Clifford end of that spectrum. Uh, I would very much like it if he turns into Joe Burrow. I think everybody would, but that's probably not going to happen. But that's kind of that last thing. I know Matt mentioned the intangibles uh, when it just when it came to his ability to read and process the game. I was really impressed with what I've seen and just how composed of a quarterback he is. Like I even went back and watched a little bit of Clifford, and you could see that same thing. Like he would get a little bit jumpy. Uh, he would be always look like he was playing the game really, really fast. For Veyu, it looks like it's a slow game, and I think that's something that's going to be really, really important for him if he does turn into the kind of quarterback the Penn State could build around. Like the big thing that upsets me with him, uh, and Matt, if you if you have anything to add here, go ahead. Like the thought of him not being able to go to camps that go through the camp circuit this summer, uh, and potentially, I mean, it has to be something that we we acknowledge on the table. He might not have a senior year of high school. For a guy who seems like he still needs to develop a bit, not, you you know, he doesn't need to completely overhaul uh, his throwing motion. He doesn't have to completely overhaul uh, how he processes the game, anything. But a guy who still has a decent amount of room to grow, it seems to me like having these next however many months, you know, it could be three to five months, it could be a year before he is able to step onto a football field again, that seems like it's a potentially huge, huge, huge uh, blow to a guy like this. Yeah, I think for you know more for a guy like him than than some other players, but I think short of you know a top twenty, top forty kind of player, they're all going to have that same issue to some degree. Some guys, you know, you've got Trevor Lawrence, you've got Justin Fields. That there are those guys that are special that you know walk out of high school into college and are ready to go from day one. Um, the vast, vast majority, you know, even of, of high end players, and we've seen it, you know, at every program across the country, including Penn State. Even those elite level players have a learning curve, and Veyu's is probably a little bit steeper than some others, just based on his, you know, relative inexperience, uh, not just with football, but football at a higher level, at, at a higher level of, of high school. But I think this entire 2021 class has the potential to, to varying degrees feel the impact of um, the, the camp, you know, the, the evaluation camps aren't as big a deal to me because that's more about, you know, um, showing what you have as opposed to getting coached up. There's a little bit of coaching that goes on there inevitably. Um, but it's, you know, the going through fall camp, going through a senior season, I think that um, for value more than a lot of other players is more valuable but I think you know, with the right coaching, with the right mindset, and this is you know you know a learning experience for every program across the country is learning is going to have to figure out how they want to deal with this um, because you know as 
everyone said on every walk of life is just completely unprecedented. Um, you know, the programs that figure out the best way to deal with that will be the ones that come out of this, um, you know, not just with their current roster, with their, their 2021 recruiting class. Um, and this is all, you know, getting off topic just real briefly here, you know, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast, you know, how do you evaluate these guys when you don't get them on campus, you don't get to see them throw in person. Penn State's had the, had the advantage of at least, you know, multiple members of the current staff have seen Veyu, um twice in person now. Chirac, I don't believe, has unless, you know, he happened to, to you know, recruit him while he was at Minnesota. But the fact that this is a kid that James Franklin especially, plus other members of the staff that have been around for a couple of years, um, have seen in person, have a comfort level with, that makes me a little more confident that they've got that relationship. They've got that understanding of the kind of kid and kind of player that Veyu is that it won't be easy, but they they'll, they'll figure out a way to, to compensate for whatever development time is lost between, you know, now and whenever he's able to get back on the field. Yeah. And he'll, uh, he, he's the kind of kid who has the, who I think is going to be fine. It just does kind of stink. He's going to lose out on that kind of opportunity. Uh, he's also not the only kid that Penn state was able to get, secure a commitment from on Wednesday. Uh, the Nittany Lions also was able, also were able to uh, figure out who's going to be their program uh, kicker of the future. As we mentioned, uh, Sander Sahedic, uh, a kicker out of Pennsylvania. Uh, Morton Cole did a piece on him uh, a little bit earlier this year as he was starting to uh, establish himself as a guy who could make some waves as a uh, potential uh, college kicker. He started kicking as a high school freshman. He comes from an athletic family. Uh, we are trying to figure out for sure if this is the case, but I'm going to recklessly throw it out there anyway. Uh, his uncle might be. Uh, we're, again, we're still trying to figure this all out. Uh, Tim Sahedek, a former Major League Soccer player for uh, for a second, Matt's beloved uh, Columbus crew, uh, never uh, took the pitch for the club and then played for the Miami Fusion. Uh, he's from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, so we're kind of assuming that. And he, Tim Sahedek married uh, Tiffany Roberts, who famously played for the USWNT when they won the 1999 World Cup. Neither here nor there. Uh, back to Sander. Went to Cole's kicking camp in December and kind of blew up from there after making a 53-yard kick during his junior season of high school. Uh, Jamie Cole from uh, Cole's professional camp said to Morning Call, he really just had a different leg speed and the way the ball jumped off, and he showed enough consistency that we feel he'd be, he'll be a Division I recruit, and that's why he got the top ranking right now. It will be a competitive thing all the way through the summer, but obviously he's in a very, very good spot right now and should be looked at by multiple schools. Uh, well, he didn't just get looked at by a school. He got a scholarship offer from a school, and that school is going to be the Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, looking at the program scholarship grid, uh, next year Penn State will have Jake Pinniger and Jordan Stout as its kickers, but then there's a big old gap. Uh, scholarship kickers, rather, and there's a big old gap. Uh, no sophomores, no redshirt freshmen, no freshmen. The next scholarship kicker through the pipeline is the lefty Sahedic. Uh Matt, I think it's uh, kind of difficult for us to break down kickers just because so little film, uh, they're specialists, all these sorts of things. But 
based on everything we've read, every, everything that we have seen, it seems like Penn State got a really, really, really good one uh, in this youngster out of PA. Yeah, it's the, the two things I, I, I look for in high school kickers are how far do they kick it and does it go through the uprights? And he, he appears yes. to check both those boxes, um, you know, the, the fundamentals and everything like that. You know, I'll leave to the folks like Cole's kicking that, that know what they're looking for. Um, kicker rankings are, are notoriously flawed, for lack of a better term, because you've got Coles as kind of the, the gold standard, but there's a couple other camping circuits for, for specialists that are around out there. Um, their names are escaping me at the moment, but the, the rankings are kind of based on the kids that they see, which is you know, certainly a fair way to do it, but there's not, there's not a centralized specialist recruiting list, if you will, um, like 24-7 puts together, um, for, for example. But by all indications, you know, he's got a big-time leg. Um, his, his numbers are incredibly accurate. We had him up on the, the commitment post today. I think it was like 20 or 22 on field goals this past year. Um, and, you know, it's, it, that's, that's impressive for a college kicker, let alone a high school kicker with all the, the uh, you know, uh, variables that go into it with long snapping and holding. And, and, you know, special teams at the high school level are can be a bit of an adventure, I guess, is the best way to put it. But um, – I, I think it was the right year to look for a, a, a kicker and or punter. Um, you know, they found their kicker. You you always want to have, in my opinion at least, um, you know, a, a scholarship kicker and a scholarship punter. Um, and you take the advantage to have you'll have one year, you know, in 2021, where you have, um, in all likelihood, three scholarship specialists on the roster with with Sahedic now joining Stout and uh, on Jake Pinniger, who would be seniors in 2021. Um, so you deal with that that extra scholarship, if you will, for one year, um, but you allow Sahedic to come in, you know, get a year under his belt. You're not expecting to rely on him because you've got two experienced guys in front of him, um, and you've got the opportunity to get a guy that's talented like him, by all indications. Um, he's also in your backyard, so it's a kid you're comfortable taking for a lot of reasons to take that scholarship um, that you're you're especially careful with at, at that kind of position. And then it allows you, um, you know, by all indications, you would think that um, the 2022 class that they'd be looking for um, a scholarship punter. I don't can't tell you for with any certainty if Sahedak has any punting experience. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't, um, or I would be surprised if he doesn't. I should say, but um, yeah, that that'll be the, the next question. But um, you, this kid's in your backyard, and it's it's the logical time to take a kid that um, you know checks a lot of those boxes you look for um, as far as you know leg strength and you know what. Uh, what the Coles kicking folks said. Yeah, I have his uh, commitment post up right here. 21 of 22 on extra points, 10 of 12 on field goals, and 84% of his kicks were, or of his kickoffs were touchbacks. Uh, impressive for anyone, uh, especially impressive for a high school kicker. Coles actually says that they believe he has the ability to kick a field goal from 55 to 65 yards away. And in that morning call, uh, piece that I referenced earlier. Uh, his high school coach, John Truby, said, We're going to try a 65 yard field goal. If he gets it in the end zone, he misses. It's a touchback. So as long as that rule stays, we're going to try it. The state record is 64 yards, and I think he can sit, hit 65. I really do. Uh, and on that video, uh, that we mentioned of him banging one in 53 yards out, it, it still had, uh, there was some distance between the bottom of the uprights and where the ball went through. So this kid does seem like he has the kind of turbocharged leg that has made us fall in love 
uh, with Jordan Stout. Uh, I- I'm excited to see. It, 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 it's funny, like Penn State fans are such a, a an insane bunch, and I consider myself in this that getting a good scholarship kicker who can absolutely boom the football off his foot is like this cause of celebration. Like I'm very happy. Like the fact that we don't have to think about this as Penn state fans for however long, I am quite happy about this. Uh, Don't really have much else to add other than I'm excited to see what happens when this kid gets on campus. Uh, Is there anything that you have to add, Matt, other than the fact that, like you said, uh, he seems like with how new he is to kicking, getting that redshirt year his first year on campus seems like it could be a really good thing for him. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, the, the big thing to me is is you jump on the chance to get get a, a, a kicker when you've got a kid you're confident in um, and you, you have a scholarship situation that allows you to do it. Um, you know, the, 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 the scholarship matrix, if you will, works out perfectly, you know, to have that redshirt year. It's hard to throw, um, you know, a freshman at any position in, but, you know, kicker is one of those um, we were talking about before we, we started recording, Bill, that, um, you know, it's the guy that, you know, you talk about a lot when he makes the big kick at the end of a game, or you talk about a lot when he misses that big kick, and the other 95% of the time you don't think about him. Um, but it's 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 an important position, and I we've seen since James, James Franklin's been here how he's recruited it, that they're they're willing to use that scholarship when they find the right guy. But it's it's hard to throw throw a guy into that kind of position as a true freshman with everything else going on. We saw it with Jake Pinniger, um, you know, his struggles, his freshman year, um, you know, kind of get being thrown into a spot that he probably, um, it was a little bit more than he was ready for. Uh, we saw him take some big steps as a sophomore and, you know, whenever the, his junior season kicks off, we'll, we'll see that, you know, hopefully another step for him. Um, you know, kickers are no different than any other position where there's a development timeline and, um, you know, the, the adjustment to college life on top of the, the athletic side of it. Um, you add the unique traits that uh, that kickers need to have, and it's it's kind of a, a perfect situation. You add in the fact that he's a Pennsylvania kid, and it just kind of you know fits neat and falls neat into place. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he turns into a good one. He's a uh, he, he's someone who I think a lot of Penn State fans are uh, are justifiably pretty high on. So. Hopefully he turns into something special. Uh, that's it for talking about uh, those two recruits as football players. I do want to circle back to Christian Veyu, uh because I want to give Matt an opportunity to talk about something that he's kind of been on recently, uh, just generally with quarterbacks and quarterback recruiting. We hear all the time, it, like, this is... Uh, this is a talking point that we hear out of uh, people who analyze football. It's a, certainly a narrative that exists among fans, and especially among Penn State fans, that uh, if you want to be among college football's elite programs, at no position do you need to recruit at a more elite level than quarterback. Uh, and fans will point to uh, Trevor Lawrence at... Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson to attack of Iowa at Alabama, uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State, these sorts of things. Matt, you've looked into this a bit and you've ran the numbers a bit. You don't, like, it obviously helps to get these 
five-star program-changing kids in at quarterback. You don't necessarily have to have that, though, correct? Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, before I dive into the numbers a little bit here, probably, you know, the 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 qualifier that we need to point out, the, you know, star rankings still matter, um, overall rankings still matter, you know, uh, like we talk about all the time, recruiting evaluations are, are better now than they've ever been because of all the information that's out there with, you know, digital highlights and, you know, all the camps that these kids go through. Um, so the, the, the level of scouting and evaluation that's out there now, whether it be at Rivals or 24-7 or ESPN or, or whoever's doing, um, you know, recruiting rankings is, is better now than it's been since this became a thing back when you know, I was a kid, um, which is 30-some years ago at this point is when I probably remember hearing about it for the first time, um, you know, in, in, in that case, you know, around Ohio uh, high school football. But anyway, um, you know, stars still matter. You know, it's the, the likelihood of, of an elite player turning in elite recruit turning into an elite player um, is still much higher than turning a three-star player into an elite player. Um, but the, the first thing I went and looked at, and this was a couple of weeks ago um, when, you know, the, the Veyu news started to leak, we saw a couple of crystal balls on 24 seven get, uh, get entered by, um, I think it was Brian Don and, and Steve Wiltfong were the first two, um, you know, national type analysts that are, are plugged into that sort of thing, um, made their, made their picks on that. Um, and so the, the question was, you know, is, is he the guy, is he the guy that takes Penn state to the next level? Um, as of now, he is not the highest recruit, highest ranked quarterback recruit. Sean Clifford still is. He was about, uh, 180, 185, I believe. Um, by the time he signed right now, like Bill said earlier, um, Christian values, um, as a solid four star, but he's about 295 nationally. Um, I like to use the national ranks as opposed to position ranks just because it kind of helps account for years where, uh, you know, the quarterback class might not be as deep. You know, some years the number 10 player might be 100 nationally. Some years that number 10 quarterback might be 300 nationally because uh, the, the quarterback class just isn't as deep. That The top end isn't, isn't as good, for example. Um, but what I, what I did is I went through um, every quarterback that has played in a college football playoff game um, and or taken a team to the playoff. You know, there were a couple of years where guys got hurt and, and backups came in. Um, and so what I, I first did was ran the overall recruiting rankings um, with the 24-7 composite. So we start with you know a guy like Jameis Winston, who was um, the first name on my list, was 16th overall, the number one ranked uh, probably pro-style quarterback. Um, you have you know Trevor Lawrence, who was the top-ranked player nationally in his year. Justin Fields was number two the same year. Then you've got guys like Ian Book, um, the year that Notre Dame went, was 517 nationally, the number 20 quarterback. You've got Kelly Bryant, when Clemson first went, was 420 nationally, the 13th-ranked quarterback. Um, Marcus Mariota, you know, we all remember how great he was for Oregon, was just inside the top fi- top 500 at 491. Um, JT Barrett, you know, had that great record-breaking career at Ohio State, was 135 nationally. Um, then, you know, Baker Mayfield's the real outlier here at, 10, at 1,029 um, and he's obviously turned into a Heisman Trophy winner and a number one overall pick. Uh, but when you run all these numbers together, and this is on, back in my Twitter feed from uh, mid-April, um, the average of those guys is 287, which as a statistics, uh, 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 not expert, but uh, uh, follower, not the best use of, of stats probably because you've got some numbers at the extreme, but the median is still 192. And my takeaway from this was largely a lot of these guys that didn't even have high rankings became elite players is that while you need elite quarterback play 
almost it's almost requ- a requirement to make the, the playoff at this point. Um, you know, the guys like like a Connor Cook, for example, who were were really good college quarterbacks, relied on great defenses and some other intangibles that that allowed them to get by. But elite quarterback play allows you to cover up so much. But a lot of these cases that elite quarterback play came from guys that were coached into that guy. Um, and like I said, it's easy, it's easier done with, with guys like, you know, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but even Joe Burrow was number 280 nationally, um, when he came out, um, and obviously didn't really make his, his huge impact until his last year, um, after transferring from Ohio state, you know, Kelly Bryant was a really solid college quarterback. Um, he wasn't even inside the top 400. So that's to say that, um, you know, certainly, you know, a guy like Caleb Williams is a guy you would love to get in your program. But if you are confident in your ability to to find guys at, at quarterback especially and develop the, develop them into that player, then you know the the elite prospect isn't your only path there. And the other thing I just I kind of did today and it was just kind of a spur of the moment idea is to go back. I went through the 2016 and 2017 um, top 10 pro style and top 10 dual threat quarterbacks in each of those classes. I didn't do 2018 just because. In most cases, those guys are you know entering their redshirt sophomore years. Um, you know, Fields and Lawrence are the exceptions, obviously. Um, but it's kind of too early, in my opinion, to evaluate those guys. Um, but th- these are your top ten pro quarterbacks for the 2016 class. You got Shea Patterson. This is in order: Shea Patterson, Jacob Eason, KJ Costello, Malik, Hen- Malik Henry, Felipe Franks, Brandon Peters, Dwayne Haskins, Jack Allison, Austin Kendall, and Patrick O'Brien. Um, the dual threat that year was Jarek Guarantano. Brandon McKelwin, Shane Buccelli, Jalen Hurts, Jawan Pass, Woody Barrett, Zarek Cooper, Terry Wilson, Seth Green, and Skylar Thompson. Now, Bill, you and I follow college football religiously. Those are still a few all-time, these are some guys kind of names. You know, guys that were, in almost every case, these are probably top 200 players nationally, top 250. Um, there's a lot of guys in that list that I couldn't tell you where they ended up and, and what kind of college career they had because they didn't pan out. And those are guys um, that are right about the level where I think Bayou is going to end up by the time everything's said and done and the final evaluations come in. And then if you look to, to 2017, your pro-style passes are Davis Mills, Hunter Johnson, Jake Fromm, Jack Sears, Dylan McCaffrey, Miles Brennan, Chris Robeson, Sean Clifford, Tristan Gebbia, and Kasim Hill. Dual threat uh, to a tag of Viola, um, who we all know about. Uh, Tate Martell, who I think is still at Miami. Uh, Kellen Mond, Sam Ellinger. Well, Matt, if I may interrupt, uh, be accurate. He's still at Miami, but he's a wide receiver now. Correct. Um, so then you got Caton uh, Thompson, Sean Robeson, Akosi Perry, Avery Davis, Lonar Kesey, and Braxton uh, Bumeister. And so it's, uh, again, those guys at the top are, you know, even, you know, Shea Patterson had a solid college career, but he was, you know, by far, um, not maybe not by far, but was you know a consensus top quarterback in the country in his 2016 class, and never really pushed that a playoff spot. Um, you know, Jacob Eason, you know, had his starting spot taken away at at Georgia by Jake Fromm, and then ended up you know had a solid career. You know, ended up being a solid draft pick. Um, Went ahead of Fromm, exactly. Uh, but then you get into a guy like KJ Costello, Malik Henry, Felipe Franks, guys that have had good, you know, solid careers. Brandon Peters, um, you know, former Michigan quarterback at Illinois now. You know, it, it's no guarantee is what I'm getting at that even if you get that guy that you know has that that high level ranking that seems like he's more of a can't miss than others, 
Um, at quarterback, more than a lot of other positions, there's a lot of development that goes into it. You know, we've seen it at Penn State with guys like Christian Hackenberg and Anthony Morelli that were, um, you know, top 10, top 15 players nationally when they came out, and for a variety of reasons, never reached that that level that of play in college that matched the recruiting rankings. So, um, it, it's something to follow. It's something that you know. Like I said, I think you know landing that guy that's top fifty nationally increases your chances because that guy has more natural talent, um, and he's been evaluated that way by a lot of people who know what they're doing. Um, but it's not not the be all end all. You don't you don't need that five star top ten quarterback to to really say you get there. Um, the other thing that um, you know, as I was kind of thinking through this earlier, is the impact. You know, that's the impact, I guess, big picture that Christian Veyu has. Um, you know, and getting Penn State to that next step. And I think kind of along with that is a more immediate impact. You know, what kind of impact does he have in the 2021 class? Um, Penn State has really recruited wide receiver uh, heavily more than any other position in the DMV. You've got guys like Dante Thornton, who was a one-time commit, uh, Caden Prather, Jalil Farouk, um, probably, if not the top three, probably three of the top five recruits on Penn State's board. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, what kind of impact – the quarterback that those guys would be catching passes from throughout the majority of their college career, having that guy on board, what kind of impact it has on them and drawing other elite level players. We saw it with Landon Tangwall uh, committing what feels like an eternity ago, but it wasn't that long. The impact of having a, a top 50 player like him jump on board that kind of, you know, open the floodgates a little bit. I, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next um, you know month or two, we see those receivers start to um, maybe push up timelines, especially if, if the recruiting calendar gets um, pushed back again, which seems like it's almost inevitable um, at this point. But um, it, it's it's a it's something that we'll watch long term, sure. But I think there's also some some immediate returns that that impact way more than just just the quarterback position. Yeah, while you were talking, I decided to go back to. Uh... 2015 and look at the top dual threat recruits uh and at number well at number eight there was uh joe you mentioned this there was joe burrow right ahead of him number four uh travis johnson is now at montana state uh number six juan jennings moved to wide receiver and number seven sherry on jones uh sherry Ron jones apologies at new mexico uh and then i scrolled down a little bit uh, I have no idea who John Kolar is. I don't know who DeAndre Johnson is. Uh, and I don't know who Anthony Ratliff Williams is, all the people right after Burrow. Uh, but I certainly know that last guy, the next guy who comes up, and that's Lamar Jackson. So uh, quarterback recruiting uh, is a very fickle thing. Uh, I think there are going to be a decent number of Penn State fans who see the number next to Bayou's name. Uh, and then they're going to see the number next to Williams' name. Uh, and this is not... Wait, Matt and I both think Caleb Williams is going to be a superstar, uh, but that doesn't mean we don't think that Christian Veyu is not going to be a star. We think there's a lot to like with this young man, and we think that he's going to turn into quite the football player. Uh, one last thing before we go, uh, speaking of turning into uh, very good football players, uh, we might as well talk about uh, just real quick what happened over the weekend. Uh, a few Penn State players made the jump to the NFL, whether they got drafted uh, or signed as uh, undrafted free agents. Yitor Gross Matos and KJ Hamler both went in the second round 
uh, Gross Mathos to the Panthers, Hamler to the Broncos, John Reed on day three went to the Houston Texans, Cam Brown, the New York Giants, Robert Windsor to the Indianapolis Colts, and then a little bit of a bonus for Nittany Lion fans, Tommy Stevens uh, is headed to New Orleans to learn from Taysom Hill how to play the Taysom Hill position. Then an undrafted free agent, Stephen Gonzalez is heading to the Cardinals, Nick Bowers is heading to the Raiders, Garrett Taylor uh, to the Buffalo Bills, Blake Gilligan to the Saints, Jan Johnson uh, to the Texans. Johnson, obviously, uh, was with the program not this past season, the one before that. Uh, Dan Chisena to the Vikings. Uh, and then a fit pair of former uh, Nittany Lions, Juwan Johnson to the Saints, Brandon Polk to the Rams. Matt, uh, real quick, uh, we'll just talk about one guy who got drafted, uh, and then we'll get into one undrafted free agent. Uh, but first, who is the Penn State guy who got drafted uh, of all of these whose situation you like the most? I'm, I'm going to go K.J. Hamler for a couple of reasons. One, cause I'm, I'm fascinated to see what kind of, kind of pro player he is because he kind of, you know, his size makes him unique among, among NFL receivers. But obviously, you know, his, his athleticism, his speed is, is world-class. Um, but along those same lines, you look at the way Denver's drafted and built that offense with Drew Locke at quarterback, who I think is really good or can be really good. And I think Denver's going to be one of those really exciting, fun teams to watch. I have no idea how good they're going to be, but they're going to throw the ball around a lot. They're going to, you know, that, that entire AFC West with Kansas city and, and Pat Mahomes, um, you know, you, you have to score to win in that division and you, you see it with the way a lot of their division rivals drafted, you know, starting with Denver with, uh, uh, Judy from from Alabama, along with Hamler, being their their I think their first two draft picks. I don't think there was anyone um, in between them or, or in front of Judy. Um, they feel like they're going to be really exciting. I think that's really going to allow Hamler, ideally, to to fill a role in an offense that's kind of ideal, where he kind of is, is that guy that can get lost underneath and, and make plays in the open field. I'm going to give an honorable mention too to John Reed because I think John Reed can be a really, really good NFL pro. Um, he's never going to be that elite, you know, outside lockdown cornerback, but I think as a as a, a slot back or uh, or nickelback, if you will, I think he can be really good because he does a lot of things really well. The only limitation is really his just physical size. He's not a, a big player at all, um, but I think he can really develop a, a really great niche um, as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I was going to say uh, either Reed for what you mentioned or uh, Yitor Grossmatos just because I loved how Carolina went all in on beefing up its defense, uh, getting Derek Brown along the defensive line. And as Grossmatos develops, I think he's going to be a really good fit there. But then I went and I looked at Denver's depth chart. Uh, I forgot that they got Melvin Gordon. Uh, along with Philip Lindsay and at running back, Cortland Sutton looked like a very, very talented football player, a uh, guy who can stick around for a while. Uh, Jerry Judy, uh, he is as plug-and-play ready of a wide receiver as I think we've seen come through the draft in a while. Just a technician, reliable hands, has good speed, all that stuff. And then Noah Fant. I forgot that they had Noah Fant, formerly of Iowa, who uh, plays tight end but also plays like a big wide receiver. So there are just so many weapons there. And KJ, I think, is going to be in positions where he can really attack a defense 
they can kind of hunt matchups with him, uh, try and find the areas of the field where he could just get into space, get the ball in his hands and do something with it. So it, I, I think it has to be KJ. Just that is such a good spot for him. Oh, that, like I said, that offense is going to be so oh, much fun. There's ridiculous. so many weapons. I have no idea. They, they could you know, only win four games for all I know. I'm not a tall <laughs> guy by any means. But they're going to score a lot of points while they do it. And the big hope is that uh, in addition to KJ, Deshaun Hamilton is able to uh, break through a little bit in Denver. And we can get KJ and Deshaun in the same uh, – in the same receiving core. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're also like me. You're fascinated in, uh, I don't necessarily know if Cam Brown is going to be a good pro, but I know that he, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be molded into something interesting. Uh, let's move on. Undrafted free agents. Penn state had, uh, six guys signed as undrafted free agents along with the two ex Nittany lions who landed NFL gigs. Uh, I'm looking through here, Matt, and there is one guy in particular, not including uh, Jawan Johnson and Brandon Polk. Uh, I I actually really like uh, the situations that both of them found themselves in, uh, relatively speaking. But who is the guy of the six Nittany Lions uh, who you think has the best chance of sticking around somewhere? I'm going to go with Nick Bowers. He's a guy I thought, you know, if if the right team, um, you know, had him at the right spot in their board late in the draft, you know, seventh round had a shot to be selected, but um, he's a guy that we've heard about it in, in happy Valley for five years. You know, if he could just stay healthy, if he could just stay healthy, we finally got to see a little bit of it this year. Um, you know, it was his last year where he, um, you know, filled in behind Pat Firemuth appeared as a, a second tight end in, in some situations um, really finally got a chance to, to show his, his ability that now that he was finally healthy, um, he has all the ability in the world um, as a as a tight end. He remind you know he's built like Fryermuth. I'm not sure he's that level of athlete, but that's you know Fryermuth's almost a freak in that regard. Um, but he he does a lot of things really well, and I think if if he holds up uh, injury wise, then um, I think L.A. or uh, Las Vegas has got an absolute steal with him. Yeah, I, I that's. That, that is a pretty great spot for him. I like Steven Gonzalez. Uh, I think that he is an experienced, steady hand uh, along the offensive line. I, I, I'm i a little bit surprised. At, I thought Arizona was going to invest a little bit more at beefing up uh, their offensive line. Uh, wasn't particularly great last year. But uh, I think getting him on board... Hopefully, he's able to carve out a niche as uh, whether it's a developmental guy or whatever it might be uh, at one of the guard spots protecting Kyler Murray. You, you know, knock on, uh, yeah, just knock on wood that his uh, time quarterbacking for someone as, uh, not quarterbacking, uh, blocking for a quarterback is chaotic. As uh, as Trace McSorley gives him a little bit of experience with someone like Kyler Murray, and if he can stick around, um, I don't know if you've looked at the Cardinals' offense lately, but they have Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, and I think uh, along with on the other side of the ball, they have my son uh, Isaiah Simmons. I think they're they have the potential to be quite fun, uh, and I would like uh, yeah, I, I think he's a. Uh, He's as good of a bet as any. Uh, you know, Blake Gillikin's a punter. Hopefully, they can make something there. Uh, 
Garrett Taylor in Buffalo, eh, Jan Johnson, eh. Dan Chisena, like, it just seems like they're going to try and turn him into the next Adam Thielen. Uh, I wouldn't hate that. I mean, I think Chisena's speed, he can make a... At the very least, he can be an impactful player on special teams. I really love Juwan in New Orleans, though. Like, I think he can. Uh... Yeah, I, I th- if if this was straight up, Penn, you know, Juwan's a Penn Stater that by no, for no other reason than his reaction after catching the uh, the Iowa touchdown <laughs> pass in 2017. Um, but he's you know, by all accounts, is a, a, a great guy. Um, you know, has acknowledged Penn State as as um, you know a place that means a lot to him, as well as Oregon, where he, he wrapped up his career. Um, we've seen, and we, we've talked about it watching one of the old games. Um, I think it was the, the festival we were watching last weekend, our, our Saturday night rewatch, yeah. um, that we were, we were doing this past week. And he, he, that year they went to the festival. He made a lot of big plays, um, mm-hmm. not, you know, you know, big scoring plays necessarily, but third down passes or, you know, second and long making, making a 12 yard reception to make third down, you know, workable. Um, just never, for whatever reason, that following year was able to kind of take that next step to be the guy. Um, but you know, talk about a guy that checks a lot of boxes. Holy cow! He's got the size. He's got the strength. Um, he's he's athletic. Um, and you know, is there a better situation in the NFL than going to catch balls from Drew Brees? I'm not sure there is. Well, Drew Brees and sometimes Taysom Hill, and uh, now that he has gotten LASIK. Uh, Jameis Winston potentially. Did you see the uh, the quote that Jameis gave today? I, I I saw it in passing, but apparently he can see things now. He can uh, now read license plates and street signs that he couldn't read as well before. Which, uh, with that, like I get what he's trying to say there, but it is very terrifying that a human being would go on record and say that. Oh yeah, I couldn't read street signs before I got uh, eye surgery. But uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know. Good on you, Jameis. But a lot of uh, a lot of guys out of the Penn State pipeline were able to uh, make that jump to the NFL uh, this past weekend. We're obviously rooting for all of them to have long, successful, fun careers, uh, and we're also excited for what next year's NFL draft is going to look like because it certainly seems like there's a whole lot of hype right now for uh, for Micah Parsons to go pretty high uh, whenever. That draft happens. The recent odds that came out, he's at twenty-five to one to be the first pick in the twenty twenty-one NFL draft, which gives him the fifth best odds of anyone. Uh, and among only defensive players, he's at three to one. Nobody better. So, uh, yeah, that'll that, that'll certainly be fun to watch, and I cannot wait to see how much mileage James Franklin gets out of that and recruiting. Uh, yeah, a- a- any any last things you want to add, Matt, or am I going to wrap this one up? No, I think, you know, next year, just real, real briefly, you know, Parsons is a, a surefire first or first round pick. And I think by all accounts, Pat Frymuth in all likelihood will be too. I think, I can't remember the last time Penn State would have had two first round picks, but we talked last time we, you and I talked on the, the podcast, Bill, that, you know, you know, what does Penn State need to do to take that next step in recruiting? And, you know, that's one of those steps is, you know, getting, getting your guys out there um, early on in the NFL draft where they're, you know, getting... You know, essentially free advertising. We saw it with Ohio State and Alabama and LSU and Clemson and, and a couple other programs over the weekend that, you know, every time they have a player picked, you know, it's, you know, five or ten more minutes of, um, in, the, in this year's case, a captive audience talking about your program. And I think that's 
that's one of those inevitable next steps for Penn State, and next year really feels like it could potentially be that. All right, so real quick, I'm going back. Can Try and guess the last time Penn State had uh, multiple first-round picks in the NFL draft. This is a fun trivia question. I will... Uh, I, 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 if you are listening and you know the answer to this, please tweet at blog uh, because this is act, again, this is a very good trivia question. Matt, let's see if you can guess it. I will tell you this: this is your one hint. It is not Courtney Brown and Levar Arrington. That was going to be my guess. Um, uh, so I'm tra- oh, you know what? I, it would have been um, 03, probably when they had four guys go. That's it right. It would have been. Uh, Let's see, like Jimmy Kennedy, Michael Haynes, Larry Johnson, and Brian Johnson were all first-round picks. That is correct. Jimmy Kennedy, number 12 to the Rams. Uh, Michael Haynes, number 14 to the Bears. Bryant Johnson, number 17 to the Cardinals. And Larry Johnson, of course, number 27 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I've had a few more first-round picks since then, obviously. A few kids. Uh just missed going in the first round in 2018. Mike Kosicki went number 42. Uh, of course, Saquon Barkley got drafted uh, second overall. But yeah, that's a, that, that's a fun trivia question. Congratulations to you for your... Uh, for, well, congratulations to Matt for being able to get it. Congratulations to any of you who were able to get it. Uh, congratulations to you if you made it through this entire podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. As always, making make sure you are liking us on all of our various social media channels. Make sure you are subscribing to the podcast on all the various podcasting platforms out there. If you, we are now on Spotify, and if you are subscribing on Apple Podcasts, make sure uh, you're leaving us a five-star review over there if you can. We'd love for you to buy some shirts. Uh, if you can't, totally fine, but we think you would look great in them. And of course, uh, with everything going on right now, make sure everyone, you're staying safe, you're keeping your distance, you're washing your hands, all the stuff that you've heard everyone else say you should be doing right now. We're going to get through this eventually, and we're able to get on the other side. Penn State's going to have one heck of a quarterback and a kicker coming into the program. So one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.